If you would this morning, take your Bible and open to Hebrews chapter 7. Take your Bible and open to Hebrews chapter 7. Now you can probably already tell that this morning is going to feel and look a little bit different. That's, that's true. So here's our game plan for this morning. We're going to study God's Word together for a few minutes, looking at Hebrews chapter 7. And then we're going to stand up and sing together, celebrating who Jesus is, what He's done in our lives. And then after we've seen, if you have little ones with you, pre-K through first grade, they'll be dismissed to elevate Children's Church at that point. So we're going to have the sermon, then we're going to sing, and then our little ones will be dismissed to Children's Church. And then we're going to spend time as a church in prayer. We can do a lot of things when we come to church. We sing together, we study God's Word together, we encourage one another. But when we come together as a church, we are called to pray. And we're going to have a chance to do that this morning. There are going to be people around this room to pray for you, pray with you. We're not going to leave you to 30 minutes of silence. Uh, That's not the game plan. We're going to walk through as a church different types of prayer. We're going to pray together. But that's our goal this morning is based on God's Word, based on the lives that we want to devote to Jesus, that we would be a church of prayer. And so you're going to be prayed for this morning. You're going to have a chance to pray. We're going to do that together. This morning, Hebrews chapter 7, here in just a moment as we look at Scripture, I want you to know that what the author of Hebrews is doing in Hebrews chapter 7 is he is reintroducing us to a man named Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is a very surprising name in the Bible, but the goal this morning is I want to show you five things about Melchizedek. And there's an older pastor in the Oklahoma City area who recently preached a sermon about Hebrews 7. And this older pastor here, he had the title for his sermon, Who the Heck is Melchizedek? Which I got to tell you, that might be a top five sermon title of all time. So uh, this, uh, this older pastor who preached this sermon, I was like, I'm going to borrow that. And if you happen to be here and you're bothered by that title, my original title was the very captivating five things you need to know about Melchizedek. So equally captivating, or you can go with who the heck is Melchizedek. So uh, number one, here's the number one thing, one out of five. Here's the first thing I want you to know about Melchizedek. When you look in the Bible, other than Hebrews, there are only two places that you find Melchizedek mentioned in your Bible. It's Genesis chapter 14, early in the Old Testament, and it's Psalm 110. So the only two places other than Hebrews 7 where Melchizedek is mentioned is Genesis 14 and Psalm 110. Okay, let's look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1, because I want you to see the background. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek that we're talking about, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, this Melchizedek, he met Abraham when Abraham was returning from the slaughter of the kings. And Melchizedek blessed him, and to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. You're like, well, what's going on in that story? Well, if you go back in your Old Testament to the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, and you read this story, what's happened is Abraham, he was called Abram at that time, but Abram's nephew Lot has been captured by some kings and taken away. And so Abram takes 318 of his greatest men, and he goes and he rescues his nephew Lot, and he slaughters these other kings, and he takes the spoils from the war, from the battle, and he's bringing them back home. And as he's returning home, this random figure named Melchizedek comes out and blesses Abram. And in return, Abram tithes. He gives 10% of everything that he has back to this king named Melchizedek. 
Then you get in your Bible a little bit later to the book of Psalms, and David picks up on this figure Melchizedek to compare with the great ruler of heaven who will be priest over all, who will be priest, priest for all time. And so what we're trying to figure out this morning is why does that matter? Why does the author of Hebrews pick up this random figure from the book of Genesis and the book of Psalms and apply it to the church? What's going on here? Well, that leads to number two. So the second thing you need to know about Melchizedek is that he is keen of righteousness and keen of peace. So this figure named Melchizedek is a keen. If you look in the middle of verse 2, look in the middle of verse 2 of chapter 7. It says, he is first by translation of his name, keen of righteousness. Now we live in a world where you would probably have to go to Google to figure out what your name means. Some of you know what your name means and you make a big deal about it and you love it. We just live in a world where that's not that big of a deal most of the time. In the ancient world, you didn't have to Google what your name meant. People knew this. It mattered. It, it formed your core identity. And so Melchizedek is a compound word, two parts put together, keen and righteousness. But not only is he keen of righteousness, but it says in verse 2 at the end, he is also keen of Salem. That is, keen of peace. And if you see that word Salem there, and you think, is that the same as Jerusalem? Yes, absolutely. Salem and Jerusalem both referring to the same place. And when you see the word Salem, if you stare hard enough, you can see that Old Testament word shalom, meaning peace. So Jerusalem is this place of peace, which we feel the weight of that this morning in light of what's happening in the Middle East and this idea that this would be a place of peace. And so when you talk about Melchizedek, you're talking about a king who does what is right and just, and you're talking about a king who is associated with a place of peace. Now number three, Okay, the third thing you need to know about Melchizedek is that he was a priest of the Most High God. So not only was Melchizedek a king, he was also priest, priest of the same God that Abram worshipped. Verse 3, or not verse 3, back to verse 1 in your Bible, sorry, back to verse 1 in chapter 7. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, he met Abram when he was returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. Now here's the key to this, this part of the story. When you read in the Old Testament part of your Bible about the priest who would offer sacrifices in the tabernacle in the temple, that part of the story in your Bible doesn't come until much later. This is still very early in the time of the Bible before the priests have been established for Israel, for, for the tabernacle and the temple. But here you have a figure, Melchizedek, who is functioning as a priest to the point that Abraham tithes to him so that Melchizedek will have these things that have been provided. So here you have a figure functioning as a priest. Number four, the fourth thing you need to know about Melchizedek is that he has no mention of his genealogy or his death. So when the author of Hebrews looks at the story of Melchizedek, look at verse, verse 3, what he says here in chapter 7. He says, this figure Melchizedek, he is without father or mother or genealogy. There's no background. We don't know where he came from. Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now, this does not mean 
that Melchizedek did not have parents. And it does not mean that Melchizedek did not, not, did not later die. Here's what it does mean. When the author of Hebrews is reading the book of Genesis, he says, I see no mention of this man's ancestors. He came out of nowhere, and I see no mention of his descendants or his death. There's no sign that his priesthood ever ended. And when he sees that, he says, that looks like Jesus. That resembles the Son of God. We can look at Melchizedek, and we can see a picture of the one who would come. Melchizedek is this picture that points forward to Jesus. And you see this again in verse 4. This is number 5. The fifth thing you need to know about Melchizedek is that he is greater than Abraham and the priesthood. Verse 4 there says, See how great this man was, this man Melchizedek was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. Remember this, if you haven't been with us through our study of the book of Hebrews, here's something you can do. You can go back to the first page of the book of Hebrews in your Bible, and you can write above the title Hebrews, you can write the phrase, Jesus is better. The book of Hebrews, in your Bible, the theme over that whole book is Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Adam. Jesus is better than Moses, better than Joshua, better than the high priest, better than Abraham, better than the Levitical priest who would come. Jesus is better. And you see establishment with Melchizedek. Melchizedek is pointing us forward to the salvation that Jesus would bring one day. And in order to see that, what I want you to do is I want us to walk through these next few verses to see the significance of how Jesus is better than Abraham, better than the priest, and, and see what that means for us in our lives right now. So look at verse, uh, where are we at? Verse 5. Look at verse 5. Those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office, who became priests, they have a commandment in the law, the Old Testament law. They have a commandment to take tithes, to receive 10% from the people, that is from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. Okay, I know it's early in the service, early in the morning. You look at verse 5 there and you think, I have literally no idea what that means. Like, what, what is that verse about? So look at this next slide, and I think it will, I think it will help you. I want to remind you how the family progression works in the Old Testament. So what you have at the beginning is you have Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had father. Like one of the great preschool songs of all time. Not just preschool song, but like adult song of all time. So Father Abraham had many sons. One of those sons, Abraham, leads to Isaac. Isaac leads to Jacob. Remember, Jacob, at a certain point, his name was changed. He was known as Israel. And then you get the famous 12 sons of Israel, 12 sons of Jacob, who become the 12 tribes of Israel. The third son was named Levi. And then you jump down a couple of generations to Levi's great-grandsons, and you get Moses and Aaron. And from Moses and Aaron, that's where the priesthood comes from. So the priesthood for God's people, going back, goes through Levi, back to Abraham. So we're keeping that in mind, look at the next verse. Look at verse 6. So this man, verse 6 says, this man, Melchizedek, who does not have his descent from them, he received tithes from Abraham, and he blessed Abraham, who had the promises from God. Verse 7, 
It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In ancient culture, the person who had greater honor blessed the one who was lesser. In this situation, Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. And I know that sounds like a random preacher statement, but this would have been crazy for the people to hear. You mean Melchizedek, who's mentioned twice in the Old Testament, is greater than Father Abraham? That's exactly what it says here. If that's the case, we need to know why. Because you're talking about my grandpa now, and that's not cool. Like, why would you say that Melchizedek is greater than grandpa? Well, let's find out. Verse 8. In the one case, talking about the Levites, tithes are received by these mortal men. The Levites are just regular guys. But in the other case, talking about Melchizedek, tithes were received by one whom it is testified that he lives. Remember, we get no mention of Melchizedek's death. It's like he just keeps living forever. Verse 9, one might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, Levi himself, he paid tithes to Melchizedek through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Okay, again, weird verse, I know. Strange, we don't think about things in this way. But he's saying Levi, his ancestor Abraham, paid tithes to Melchizedek, so it's like Levi himself paid tithes back to Melchizedek. And the priest, they didn't pay tithes. So this is a weird deal. Something weird is happening right here. Verse 11. Now if perfection, if all of God's plans have been perfected and attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under that priesthood the people received the Old Testament law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? If the Old Testament was perfect and complete, you wouldn't need a New Testament. You wouldn't need a new priest. You wouldn't need someone else to come. But guess what? There is a New Testament. So something wasn't perfect there. Verse 12, when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken, he belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. And here's the curveball. All right, here it comes. Verse 14. Here's the curveball. For it is evident that our Lord Jesus was descended from Judah and in connection with the tribe Moses said nothing about priests. You're like, time out. We've been talking about Melchizedek up to this point and now you're talking about Jesus. And the author of Hebrews says, yes, that's exactly my point. Levi led to the priest. Judah was not supposed to lead to a priest. Jesus comes from Judah, so Jesus should not be a priest. Hold on. Verse 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises. So another priest has come, and he's just like Melchizedek. He has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement having to do with bodily descent. So Jesus isn't a priest because of his ancestors, but by the power of an indestructible life. So you could become a priest because of your ancestors, or you could become a priest because you rose from the dead, because death did not stop you. Verse 17, for it is witnessed of him, God says you're a priest, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Now skip down to verse 23. Those verses in between, we're going to come back to in a few weeks. We'll get back around to them. Skip down to verse 23. Verse 23 says, The former priests, talking about those Old Testament Levite priests, those former priests, 
There were a lot of them because they kept dying, because they were prevented by death from continuing office. That's what happens to regular people. But he holds, verse 24, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And then get ready for verse 25, okay? Get ready for verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Take a bath in it. Brush your teeth with it. Put it in your smoothie. Fill up your car with it. Put it on your tombstone. You can underline it and highlight it if you want. This verse will carry you through life. Like, this is the kind of verse that will keep your life going, and this is the kind of verse that will see you into eternity. This verse... Hebrews 7.25, this verse, whether you knew it or not, is why you are in this room this morning. This is the greatest news you could ever imagine for your life or for the world because of who Jesus is. And I know Melchizedek seems like this random figure from the Old Testament, and we're talking about priests, and we're talking about kings, and it all points to Jesus, that through Jesus, we can draw near to God. Why? Because of his sacrifice, because of his priesthood, because Jesus took on death, he died for us to defeat the darkness of our sin, and he rose again to defeat the power of death. Through Jesus, we find salvation. Through Jesus, we find hope. Before Jesus, the system was imperfect and incomplete. And after Jesus, you are not going to find a way to salvation. We are not looking for someone else. We're not looking for another God or another person to rescue us. It's through Jesus we find that. And he is able to save you completely. He doesn't get you started and then you have to finish your salvation. He doesn't save part of you. He doesn't save you for a little time. He saves you completely. And Jesus is not reigning over all things bored in heaven. Do you know what Jesus is doing in heaven? Number one, he's holding this crazy world together. And number two, he is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. He is interceding for you. And we are able to pray to God through him. We don't pray to God through any other person, through any ancestor, through any saint. We are able to draw near to God through Jesus. He is where our hope is found. Nothing can separate you from his love and hope. No accusation from Satan, no mistake from your past, no guilt or shame or fear, no harsh words from other people, no suffering in this world. Nothing is able to separate you from God's love and salvation and hope in Jesus. And man, that's good news. Like that, That's the kind of news you hold on to. That's the kind of news you put in your tombstone. That's the kind of news you put in your smoothie. Like that's what we need in life. And what do you do as a response of that? How do you feel when that's true? You feel peace? Like a peace that doesn't make sense to people around you? You have hope? You have strength to keep going when things are hard? And when you know those things to be true, there's something inside of you that just wants to explode in praise to God. Like, you are good. My hope is found in Jesus. I want to celebrate you. Well, guess what? We're going to do that this morning. Like, if you believe Hebrews 7... 25 is true, you're going to have a chance to express that in worship. And if Jesus reigns over this world and is praying for you right now, and you can draw near to God through him to pray, we need to do that this morning. And so we're going to do that. So what we have in front of us here 
is we have the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And in response to that, we have to be a people of praise and prayer. And so our goal as a church this morning is to do those two things. We're going to praise God together for who Jesus is and what he's done. And then we're going to spend time in prayer together as a church. And in between those times, we'll dismiss our kids to go to their children's church time. Would you bow your head? I want to pray for you. And then we're going to stand up and we're going to sing with all of our hearts about who Jesus is. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we think about the Old Testament part of our Bible. It's confusing at times. There's characters mentioned in the Old Testament that we have a hard time understanding who they are, why they matter. And God, we have this figure, Melchizedek, and it it can be confusing. What's going on there? The purpose of Melchizedek is to give us a type, a picture of who Jesus would be as he came as the king, as he came as the great priest who would offer himself for our sins to overcome death. And so, Father, this morning, we have gathered here this morning knowing that we can draw near to you through Jesus, that he is able to save us completely. God, if there are people here this morning who are struggling with doubt and uncertainty, God, that they would be able to worship. That if there are people here who are hurting, that they would be able to worship. They would be able to remember who Jesus is and what he's done in their lives. God, would your Holy Spirit move in our church this morning? God, we don't sing songs just to sing them. We don't pray just to pray. God, we need your Holy Spirit to change our lives, to change our hearts. And we want to do that together this morning. Father, work, work in our church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 